You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 300, Understanding the Gospels and the Gospel of Matthew. So today we're going to we're going to talk about the Gospel of Matthew. We did an overview last week of all the gospels and um, dealt with several specific questions. If you haven't heard that episode, I encourage you to listen to it. We provided some great background information on the gospels. Uh, today we're going to spend this time talking about the Gospel of Matthew. My goal in this series is, is to help you. We spent several episodes talking about reading the Bible and having a plan for reading the Bible. Christians every year say, I want to spend more time reading the Bible. And um, too often they get bogged down in other things. And it's just easy when you really aren't sure what you're reading or don't really have the background to let it just slip. And so uh, by giving you some background on the Gospels themselves, um, hopefully it'll be easier for you to uh, fulfill that goal that you've set this year for, for, for at least reading through the New Testament once or twice. I mean, I think that's an easy goal, as we said before. Um, you know, you read a chapter a day, you're going to read the New Testament through over a time and a half. So you add two chapters in there, you're going to read it almost twice. So, um, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's honor that commitment. Let's get God's Word inside of us, and, and let's begin kind of getting some background on Matthew today. Well, first of all, we're going to talk about the man himself, the author. Um, he's also referred to as Levi. Uh, you know, and that's not uncommon. People say, well, is that a discrepancy? Uh, Mark actually refers to him as Levi. In the Gospel of Matthew, he refers to himself as Matthew. It's really not. It's, it's actually fairly common in the first few centuries to see people's names changed after they became followers of Christ. Um, one example is um, Peter. Even though his name was Simon, Jesus assigned him the name, and some would say it's only a nickname, but it's it's what we know him by, um, the name Petros, or Peter. Um, you know, if, if, if we were to talk about Simon as one of Jesus' disciples, a lot of people wouldn't even know who he is. But Jesus named him Peter, and that's, that's how we know him. Um, another great example is Saul. Uh, you know, when I say Saul, a lot of people think of King Saul, but but I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. His name was his Hebrew name was Saul, but um, after he became a follower of Christ and a little bit into his ministry, he became known as Paul, and that's obviously the Greek translation of his name. So so the name itself is not that big of a deal. He might have had two names. Um, you know, my name is Charles David. I go by David, but professionally, um, if I go to a doctor or you know, whatever, some kind of business thing, they're going to call me Charles because that's what's on the chart. So it could be something like that too. So it's not that big a deal. We also know that Matthew was a tax collector. Um, you know, tax collectors were probably some of the most hated people in Jewish society. They even had their own 
um, their own rank in the scale of sinners. I mean, you had your regular sinners, and then you had your tax collectors. And that's actually how the Pharisees referred to them. Called them sinners. You know, talk about, you know, why does Jesus hang out with, uh, you know, sinners and tax collectors? So, and, that, and that's pretty bad. I mean, you know, you got your regular sinners, you've got drunks, you've got prostitutes, you got drug dealers, and then down at the bottom, you've got the, the, the tax collectors, the lowest of the low. And the reason for that is they worked for the Roman government. The Roman force was an occupying force. Now, by and large, if you paid your taxes and obeyed the law, the Romans left you alone. Um, they also brought some, some innovations. They brought roads. They brought aqueducts. They kept peace in the region. But they were Gentiles, and they were hated by the establishment. And whenever the Jews rioted, the, the Romans dealt with riot ruthlessly and violently, often crucifying the, the ringleaders and leaving them to hang on a cross for days and days and days. So the fact that, that Matthew worked for the Romans would have really had him to be one of the most hated men in all of society. And this is fascinating that Jesus called him to be one of the disciples. You wonder what the reaction of the other disciples were. Um, you know, Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. They had a small business. James and John had a small business. They were fishermen as well. Um, you know, they had to pay taxes, exorbitant taxes, to the Roman government. You wonder if Matthew was the guy who collected those taxes. Um, it's fascinating to think about. We also know that Jesus had a disciple who was named Simon the Zealot. And when he was called the Zealot, that wasn't just an adjective of his personality. The Zealots were actually a political group um, whose sole purpose was to overthrow the Roman government. So you wonder what the, uh, the relationships were among the twelve um, with a guy named Matthew who had worked for the Romans and a guy named Simon whose intention, at least before meeting Jesus, was the overthrowing of the Roman government. So as a tax collector, we know that Matthew was well-educated. In fact, we'll talk about the book, the gospel, in a few minutes. But he was educated. He was bright. Um, obviously very, uh, very knowledgeable about money and other issues such as that. But you know what we also see in Matthew is we see a very deep, deep knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, this is ironic for a man who was a tax collector. So, did he have this knowledge of the Scriptures? And I'm talking a deep, deep knowledge of the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He understood the prophecies. He understood um, what was being written that was pointing to Jesus. He had a deep, deep knowledge. And so, you wonder... Was that something he had studied at all before he met Jesus, or was it afterwards? We don't really know, but we do know that in his gospel, he really um, you know, quotes the scriptures a lot and uses them, the Old Testament scriptures, to, to actually help guide um, his gospel. To, to um, Really, we'll see some key points from the Old Testament that pop into to Matthew's gospel. Um, what other background do we have on Matthew? Well, it's fascinating because even though we read his book and we find out something about him, there's only there's very, very little mention of him in the New Testament. Of course, there's the, the conversion where Jesus calls him from his tax collector's booth to follow. And then there's the story right after that where he throws a reception for Jesus and his followers at his house. 
He would have probably been a man of means, a man of wealth, and possibly even used that wealth to support Jesus' ministry. We don't know that, but just knowing the way tax collectors were paid, um, remember the story of Zacchaeus. I mean, he he had made his money even by defrauding people, he said. And if he said, if I've defrauded, I'm going to pay them back after encountering Jesus. But we know he was a man of means as well. So tax collectors tended to be well off, and possibly he used that money for the ministry of Jesus. And then one more, one more thought on Matthew is, and this is from the church fathers. We don't really have much information about Matthew outside of the New Testament. Some of the others we do. We have some information about Peter and Paul and some of the others. We don't have much about Matthew, but an early church tradition holds that he ministered, he was an evangelist in and around Judea after Jesus' death and resurrection. So in other words, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he became one of those who went into the countryside outside of Jerusalem and into that entire area preaching and proclaiming Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. We're not exactly sure when he wrote his gospel. Uh, Many scholars leave that time around the mid-60s, but we just really don't know. But another tradition indicates that a little later, Matthew went to Ethiopia to proclaim the gospel of Christ, and there he met a martyr's death. And why Ethiopia? I don't know. We actually see a number of the disciples You know, when Jesus said, take the gospel into all the world, make disciples of all people, um, he said in Acts 1-8, you'll be my my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. The disciples took that seriously. And many of the apostles went into other parts of the world. We know Thomas went to India, Matthew here, um, into Ethiopia. Um, and, and then others, you know, doing, doing things like that, taking the gospel into the other parts of the world. All right, don't go away. We will be right back. Um, we're going to talk about the distinctives of Matthew's gospel. But before we do that, I want to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to us by my book, New Testament Snapshots. New Testament Snapshots is a fascinating look at 12 of the lesser-known characters in the New Testament. And one of these characters just happens to be the Apostle Matthew. We've got a chapter that that actually goes into um, a little more detail than we're able to get into on the podcast. And so um, next week when we talk about Mark, there's a chapter in there on Mark as well. So um, so, so I would really encourage you to check out New, New Testament Snapshots. Easy to read, fascinating. Um, we deal with some of those folks that kind of stayed on the periphery of Jesus' ministry, or maybe even like Matthew, occupied a big role. I mean, he wrote a gospel. He was one of the apostles, but we just don't know that much about him. So check out New Testament Snapshots. Click on the link. takes you to Amazon. You can buy it, read a little bit for free, and I know you will love it. Well, all right, now let's talk about the distinctives of Matthew's gospel. Well, one of the things that Matthew seems to do, and as we said earlier, he's he's really rooted and grounded in the scriptures himself, and he seems to actually paint Jesus as, as almost like a new Moses. Um, he's the new teacher of Israel. 
And so, so in early, early in Matthew, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we see Jesus presenting the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this powerful, powerful message of what life in the kingdom of God should be like. It's a, it's a powerful message. It, and probably one of the few messages that we have of Jesus in its entirety. Um, you know, we get snippets of what Jesus said. Um, we get little snapshots of what Jesus said. But, you know, if he's speaking to a crowd, he's not only sharing, you know, not just sharing a few verses. You know, he's, he's talking for a while. There wasn't much on TV back then. And people were willing to sit and listen. So, so Jesus um, uh, often is, is it, it, just parts of his message are given. But, but the, the Sermon on the Mount actually seems to be a complete message. It's very powerful. I encourage you to check it out. But it's only the first of five sets of teaching that Matthew presents. And, and, and a lot of scholars would say that these correspond in some way, at least the number does, to the first five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these books are often called, even though there's so much history in Genesis and Exodus and um, numbers and, and even, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, um, even though there's so much history and narrative there, they're also, um, they're referred to as the law because the law came in these first five books. So the, 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 the teaching of Jesus is presented by Matthew in a very powerful way. Um, another distinctive of his gospel is his use of the Old Testament prophets. As we said, this is a man Matthew, who has steeped himself in the scriptures of the Old Testament, he knows the Bible. He knows the scriptures, and they they ooze out of him as he writes. And he's the guy that, at least through the first eight chapters of his gospel, it slows down a little after that, but during the, the first eight chapters, over and over and over again, Matthew will write something, and then he'll say after that, parenthetically, he'll say, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. This happened in accordance with what the prophet said. And it's very powerful because what his goal is in his gospel is to let the Jewish people know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the one that has been promised and now he has come onto the scene. A couple of other distinctives about Matthew's book. Um, first of all, he makes use of much of Mark's gospel. Um, as we spoke about last week, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a similar perspective. They're called the synoptic gospels. Well, Mark, as we'll see next week, was the first one written, and it's the one that Matthew and Luke both make extensive use of. But obviously, as we talked about, he adds, Matthew adds much of his own material, and he shapes it for the reasons that we've spoken about. Um, as we'll talk about next week, Mark was written to probably a Roman audience. They would have had no concern, they would have had no interest in the fact that Jesus was fulfilling prophecies. And, and, and Matthew, on the other hand, writing to a Jewish audience, he shaped this book he, he molded his writings. He, he wanted it to be something that the Jewish audience would understand. In some of Mark's stories, Matthew um, was probably there, and he was an eyewitness, 
And so he might have added his own personal touch to the stories that Mark shared. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what good writers do. Another distinctive of his book is the fact that uh, there's a, a Christmas story, if you will, the birth of Jesus. This one is from the viewpoint of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Um, Luke's is different, as we'll see. That's from Mary's perspective and point of view. But at least Matthew gives us some narrative. He talks about the, the, the wise men, the magi, and, and that fascinating story. He's the one who tells us Jesus went into Egypt for some time. So Matthew gives us some great, great stuff. Um, Matthew is the guy who talks so much about the kingdom of heaven. This is another one of the main themes in Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of heaven. Now you'll notice the other gospel writers often refer to it as the kingdom of God. But a good Jew would never use God's name. Um, even today, if you look at a Jewish Bible, uh, very often it will, if it's an English version, it will have the letter G, a slash, and then D. Because for the Jews to actually spell out God's name is considered sacrilegious. And to say God's name um, is just not considered proper in writing. So uh, Matthew gets around that by referring to it as the kingdom of heaven. But in referring to it as the kingdom of heaven, that doesn't diminish anything. We're getting a clear perspective of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like. Many of Matthew's parables that Jesus shares um, that Matthew records, um, Matthew's giving us a snapshot of what the kingdom looks like because he's quoting parables where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and then he'll give the parable. So Matthew is very concerned with letting his readers know what the kingdom is like. And then Matthew is also very concerned with, um, at the end of his gospel, not leaving his audience hanging. Because it's easy to read a book like this and go, okay, well, what does this mean for me? Where do I go now? What is next? And, you know, we said last week that these gospels, all four, are written to different groups of Christians. Matthew's written to a Jewish audience, a Jewish group of Christians, or those who are seeking, um, looking for, for the truth. And, and, and maybe this gospel would push them towards the truth. So at the end of his gospel... At the end of his gospel, you know, and preachers are great about this. When preachers preach messages, you know, there's always that moment, at least if um, the church, <laughs> my church background, um, there's always a moment of, of decision, whether it's a decision to um, receive prayer for something that the message touched on, possibly a call to salvation, sometimes prayer for healing, whatever it is, but there's a, a decision moment. Well, the decision moment in Matthew is in chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always. Well, that's the moment of decision. Are we going to be, first of all, ourselves, are we going to be disciples of Christ and then, are we willing to go wherever God calls us to go and make disciples? It might mean going across the street and talking to your neighbor about Jesus, creating a, a, an opportunity to have a conversation or inviting them to church. Um, it might mean talking to that friend at work 
and 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 sharing the gospel with him. Um, but you know, the goal is not to just get people saved. The goal is to, like Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. And it might be Jesus might even call you to take the gospel into another nation. That's so exciting. It's so rewarding. We've been involved in this all our lives, taking the gospel into other countries. And and every now and then I'll I'll, I'll mention this to somebody. They go, oh, well, I could never do that. Well, of course you could. Of course you could. God's grace is sufficient for anything. It just It's usually our fear and doubts that hold us back. So the question here as we wrap up, what is God calling you to do? Because that's the moment of decision in Matthew's gospel. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the beautiful promise is, I will be with you always. Well, that's Matthew's gospel. I hope this was helpful. Next week, we will dig into Mark's gospel. And I know you'll love it, one of my favorites. And I would encourage you to check it out. If I missed anything or you have a comment or a question, by all means, go to davidspell.com. Leave me a question or comment for today's post. Or you can email me, david at davidspell.com. I love to stay in touch. I love to keep the conversation going. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and I will see you next week on Leading and Learning.